Thanks for listening to the City Collective Podcast. We hope that this message from Pastor Jason Charles and the City Collective team challenges and inspires you. Enjoy. Good morning, City Collective. Thanks for joining us for Church Online. Wherever you're watching from this morning, I hope that you're doing well. It's hard to believe it's already June. And of course, with everything that is taking place all around us, 2020 has been quite the year. But here we find ourselves, June 2020, and we are about to begin a new series here at City Collective on the Beatitudes. We're gonna be looking at Matthew chapter five in the first 12 verses. Now, we had already planned to do this series uh, a while back, and with everything taking place on a global scale, with the collective voice of the people rising up in protest and conversation around topics like racism, police brutality, and, and systemic privilege, there are clear issues that we need to be talking about as a community. And I so wholeheartedly believe that what we see in the Beatitudes is Jesus communicating truth to power, truth in the moment that we so desperately need right now. These these Beatitudes are a series of eight declarations which have a special significance. And on Thursday, I was able to talk with, with a dear friend, a pastor from Sacramento, California, Terrence Williams. And before we continue, I wanted to share a clip from that conversation. Enjoy few things and I think the one thing that we just really got to begin to do is got to begin we got to listen we just got to shut up and listen and and not necessarily yeah we need to listen to other people we need to listen to other people's experiences and stories but but the 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 thing that we really need to listen to is we really need to listen to the voice of God yeah like we really get to a place of saying you know what like Lord, like I need you to reveal because the thing is, if we ask God to reveal stuff that's in us that needs to change, mm-hmm. He's gonna, re- mm-hmm. He's gonna, He's gonna work it out. He's gonna, He's gonna change things. He's gonna soften your heart. He's gonna say like, Hey, look, there's this one area that you just you think you're good, but you're not good. Um, and I think that's the biggest thing that you know, because you have so many people like, Oh, like what can we do? Like we want to go out and do something. We want to be a part of the solution. Well. But the thing is, like, you got you got to work on before you do the outward stuff. You got to do the inward stuff. Wow. You got you got to you got to do the work inside. You got to because you can you know you could go out and do stuff, but if you haven't changed the inside, then you're out there doing stuff just to do it. Wow. You're out you're out there you're out there doing stuff just so you can say that you're politically correct and you're doing what everybody else is doing. But you're you're not being led by the spirit to do it. Hmm. You're being your flesh to do it. Wow. And so, wow. so if we're being by our flesh to do something, is it really godly? Uh, nope. Powerful. If you haven't had a chance to listen to that conversation yet, I would encourage you. It is on both our Instagram, our Facebook page. Uh, it's on our YouTube channel. You can check it out for yourself and spend some time wrestling through some of the thoughts that Terrence presents. But I believe that it kind of leaves us with the question, what do we do next? Is this just a moment? Uh, Is this just an opportunity to flex our collective voice? Or is this the starting point for real change, for real transformation? Because here's the reality. We have all been inspired, convicted, injected with newfound passion over issues that capture our hearts. But if we're being honest, how many of those moments, how many of those issues simply become a Facebook memory that shows up one year later and we say, oh yeah, I did that thing. This is what I truly believe. 
that the change that needs to happen in the world can only happen through the way of Jesus. Not just in changing our approach, but in having what the Bible says, an implantation of a new heart, a tender, responsive, reflective one. There is a systemic evil that has intertwined in our society that will only be truly overcome when our hearts are transformed to look and love like Jesus. Sure, we need a change of laws, but more importantly, we need new hearts. In 1865, the 13th Amendment was passed abolishing slavery in the U.S. And then on May 25th, 2020, a man was crying out in obvious pain, unable to breathe, and George Floyd was killed in an evil act that robbed a family of a father and a man of his life. Privilege and power were exerted as if that law in 1865 had never been passed an evil act which was not simply a bad apple but a symptom of a greater sickness that laws can bandage over but only the power of Jesus is going to truly change. See, we need new hearts. We need a new way. We need a new kingdom. And on that hillside, Jesus spoke of some of the most revolutionary words ever spoken. Jesus began to describe the kind of people that would emerge when the kingdom of God breaks into our world. Perhaps you've heard these words before. Perhaps you've never actually engaged with them. But I would encourage you this morning, don't let them pass by you. Don't let them just go from one ear and out the other. Let's listen to the life-changing words this morning. And let's read from Matthew chapter 5 as we continue. Matthew 5 verses 1 through 12. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Thank you to Bethany, Paul, and Jennifer for leading us in the scripture reading this morning. And to the Splains and the How You Doing segment. Love that you guys are making this step. We appreciate you. Um, and then to our worship team for doing such a great job leading us this morning. Caitlin, bless Dan and Kaylee, we love you. Thanks for doing such an amazing job of setting the atmosphere for us within our homes. Now, I, I hope you were listening. I hope that your hearts and your ears were open to what is actually being shared. Because what is being said is not just hopeful optimism. In fact, I believe that the very words spoken are powerful for our current moment. But first, uh, before we dive into the passage, I think we need to create some context around it and figure out what's happening for this fresh-faced Jesus who's just starting his ministry. Because if we separate the Beatitudes from its context, it becomes what Daryl Johnson says, either frustrating idealism or oppressive legalism. 
See, at the end of Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is traveling throughout Galilee. His ministry on earth is just beginning and Jesus doesn't really ease his way in. He's going throughout Galilee, teaching in the synagogue, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease. He was preaching, saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And we see right away that Matthew is careful to help us realize that Jesus first spoke his beatitudes right after declaring this good news. And the question is, what is this good news? And it is this explosive announcement that in Jesus, in him and because of him, the long-awaited kingdom of God is breaking into the world. David Wenheim puts it like this. He says that the longed-for revolution is now underway. And isn't that what so many of us are actually craving right now? A a revolution, a change. And here in this good news that Jesus is sharing, it's his response to the craving of humanity. So I'm curious this morning, what is it that you crave? Early in our relationship, Adriana and I discovered that we had very clear differences in our dietary cravings. Adriana is salty and I'm sweet. And no, that's not a shot at my wife. Within the first couple weeks of dating, I had already established that I needed to exert my dominance of craving. So I commandeered a cupboard in her kitchen, now in our kitchen, to be our unquestioning candy drawer with a wide array of candies and sweets to my liking, no matter how much she didn't like the taste or smell of them, AKA Skittles, taste the rainbow love. Why, you might ask, but I do this? Why do I need to claim this cupboard? Well, I had already preset my approach to dealing with my sugar cravings. I had established that I needed hubs that are easily accessible. My home, my car, my room, Adriana's home, Adriana's kitchen, and Adriana's car. She's just finding out about that one right now. And they were all carriers for my craving. Because this is how the reality of it plays out. When we have cravings, when we have them in our life, we orient so much of what we do to appease them. So when our cravings are unhealthy, we spend disproportionate amounts of time hiding candy in places that your wife can't find it. And when your cravings are healthy, you can orient your life in a healthy manner as well. Cravings extend well beyond our need for food or our desires for food, just like the language that we see in verse 6, where we will be spending our time today where the language of hunger is used, but in relation to righteousness and not to a sugar rush. That which we crave is that which we pursue. And the brokenness in our world is revealed in the compulsive cravings of sin that destroy our society every day. Cravings for power, cravings of lust, cravings for attention, cravings for self-gratification, cravings for success, and they give birth to systemic racism, ongoing oppression of people groups, sex trafficking, pornography, celebrity culture, political correctness, and the list goes on. And Jesus is calling the world to see the kingdom of God is at hand, and it begins with you. Jesus is describing what happens to human beings when his good news grabs hold. I want you to picture this with me. That there's a sloping hill beside the Sea of Galilee. People of all backgrounds are gathered and they've heard about this man and they have come to see for themselves. 
They're all here, this mishmash of people, blue-collar Jews, big city moguls from Jerusalem, and Roman pagans, and they're all here to listen to what this guy from Nazareth, where supposedly nothing good comes out of, has to say. And he says this in verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. But if you're listening, I I mean, honestly, to the words that are spoken in the Beatitudes, they really don't seem to make sense. It's as if, Jesus, have you actually spent time in the real world? Even the word blessed doesn't really compute with how you and I think. When we hear the word blessed, we think about being happy and Pharrell's 2013 summer banger starts playing in our minds and we start to feel all those good feels through and as we think about all the moments of being hashtag blessed and how we felt in a moment and and therefore we were blessed because of it. But the word translated blessed is a word actually crammed full of meaning. The word is is makarios. And yes, Jesus intends to impart a certain kind of happiness to our souls, but the English word for happy is far too weak. Happy is related to what is happening, which means that happiness comes and goes as favorable happenings, happenings come and go. The primary reason why happy is misleading is that it puts the emphasis in the wrong place. Makarios does not refer to how you and I assess our condition. Makarios refers to how God assesses our condition. Whether you are happy or not is not the point of what Jesus is saying. The point is whether God is happy. And this isn't a perfect explanation, but it puts us in the right direction. Peter Kreft, he says this, that blessedness is an objective state, not a subjective feeling. So maybe there are actually some better synonyms that we can consider. Synonyms like fortunate. Uh, congratulations, or, or, or you lucky bums, <laughs> right on. Maybe even the idea of, of right side up. Let, let, let's plug a couple in and see what it sounds like. Right side up are the poor in spirit. Right side up are the meek. Right side up are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The qualities that Jesus blesses only seem upside down because our old humanity is upside down. Jesus comes into the world with his kingdom and he craves to turn everything right side up. The idea of personal satisfaction and happiness is fickle. And Jesus is basically saying that we need to realign our lives to serve God's happiness and then we will find true fulfillment for ourselves and these are the things that bring God joy. It's like we've been trying to crab walk everywhere, racing to see who can do it the best and the quickest. And Jesus is saying, look what you actually have. Look how your legs and your arms are intended to be used and get right side up. So verse six could be read, blessed, congratulations, right side up are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they and they alone shall be satisfied. Let's make sure we're hearing Jesus clearly. Jesus is saying those who hunger after righteousness are the right side up. 
not those who have found and mastered righteousness, not those who feel righteous, not those who are on their way to righteousness, rather those who hunger and thirst for it, that they've gotten a taste of what it means to understand God in the world and now they want more of it. This idea of righteousness is everywhere in the Bible. So what does righteousness really mean? What are, what are we doing and dealing with here? Gerard von Rad writes this about righteousness. It is the standard not only for man's relationship to God, but also for his relationship to his fellows. See, relationship is what righteousness is all about. It isn't about living up to legal principles, but living in faithfulness to the terms of relationship. Righteousness simply means in right relationship or right relatedness. So Jesus is saying, he's in verse six, congratulations to those who are right side up, those who hunger and thirst for right relationships, for they and only they shall be satisfied. Righteousness is all about relational integrity and wholeness. Blessed are those who crave relational wholeness. Scripture teaches us that we are created for four basic relationships. Relationship with the earth, that's in Genesis 2 verse 7. Relationship with other human beings, that's in Genesis 2 verses 18 and 22. And relationship with the self, that's in Genesis 2.25. And finally, relationship with the living God. And these relationships matter because they matter to God, that he craves them in a way that is beyond just the idea of simple hunger. This is not just a chill, I'm a little peckish on a Sunday afternoon. This is the kind of hunger that my wife hasn't eaten all day and I need to make sure that she's fed before we do anything else kind of hunger and that an iced coffee isn't going to, isn't going to sate her hunger kind of feeling. That this is a craving akin to starving. That this is God's intense passion that all of creation enjoys right relationship and and this is why Jesus blesses those who crave righteousness because this is what God craves to be alive with divine appetite to be alive in the passion of God himself right side up are those who crave right relationship with the earth with others who seek reconciliation between individual groups and nations as though their lives depended on it, who starve for justice and integrity. And this is a really compelling idea, but it's one we can easily miss because what he's saying here is that once grace gets in us, Grace begins to shape us and we want more and more of it and we want the world that, to get right. We want our life to be right with God and the blessing that he gives to us is that our imagination of the world begins to align with God's. In fact, it is a sacred process called sanctification that it's more than a good moment that captures our attention but the beginning of becoming alive with a God-sized craving that does more than change us from the outside but also from the inside that we experience something in a whole new way. When we allow God into our lives, grace opens our, our imagination to everything God imagines, justice, peace, reconciliation, healing. And here's the thing, don't be discouraged when your eyes begin to see the brokenness of the world around you because this, in fact, is the blessing of God beginning to fill you. Because once you see it, 
You can't stop seeing it. There's this optical illusion that has been around for a long time, but it has a, has a duck and a bunny in the same photo. When I first looked at it, all I saw was the duck. But if you look carefully, if you examine it, and if you pay attention, you can see the bunny. And once you see it, you can't not see it. And the blessing given to those who hunger and thirst for righteousness is that you will be filled, that you will see it everywhere you go, and you will be given a righteous passion, not to just glance at it occasionally, but to pursue the healing of relationships and the justice of wrong because you can't stop seeing it. And once you can't, once you can't stop seeing it, you start doing something about it and it creates a holy dissatisfaction inside of us. Peter Kreft puts it this way, dissatisfaction is the second best thing there is because it dissolves the glue that entraps us to the false satisfactions and drives us to God, the only true satisfaction. This is the craving of God, the craving for right relationship in all areas. And the craving of right relationship in all areas doesn't devalue right relationship in specific ones. And hear me this morning when I say this. This is a biblical truth. All lives don't matter until black lives matter. Of course, the phrase all lives matter is true. This is theologically true and this is philosophically true. The problem highlighted by Black Lives Matter is that it is not sociologically true and it is not systemically true. That is why we must shine the spotlight on the value and dignity of black lives craving change. If my sister was mistreated and she was hurt and she was upset and feeling pain, I would hold her tightly in my arms and I would want to make her feel secure. And I would tell her that I love her. And in that moment, I would not feel the need to tell Adriana that I love her or my mom that I love her. But my expression of love for my hurting sister would not devalidate my love for the rest of my family. I love them all, but just one of them really needed to hear it in the moment. It's the principle of Jesus leaving the 99 sheep and going after the one. He isn't saying the 99 are not important, but, they, but that they just didn't need him in the moment. But the one did. Stop making hardship of others about your own personal validation. If you feel like you've had your fill of news stories exposing injustices, racist practices, and systemic issues in our world, that you have somehow become desensitized to the injustices of our world already, I would contend it's maybe because you have replaced the final words with a different phrase. You've replaced righteousness and justice with political correctness. The world version of verse 6 goes something like this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for political correctness, for they will look good. Do you want to do good or do you want to simply look good? Are we more concerned about our personal acceptance than our neighbor's justice? Sure, you made your statement. Sure, you made your post. Sure, you liked your post. Whatever it is, great. But... Has the desire and hunger of your spirit been birthed from a need to be accepted and protected rather than a righteous anger for justice that compels you to respond? No wonder you're done. You didn't want righteousness in the first place. You didn't want right, right relationship in the first place. You just wanted to be politically correct and friends. 
This is why the real work of this movement truly begins inside each of us. Action is needed right now. But what happens when the moment passes? What happens when the Instagram posts stop rolling in? When the news articles stop being written? Do we suddenly stop caring? No. We need to have a hunger and thirst for right relationship between each other in this world. And that demands that we mourn with those who mourn, we weep with those who weep, we rejoice with those who rejoice, and we become led by the Spirit to change. So how do we make this more than a moment? And I think Jesus gives us the answer. He says, repent. And repent is a word we are not comfortable with because it requires an evaluation of self, a recognition of wrong, an expression of need. But it is the very thing that Jesus includes in his original call for the kingdom of heaven at the end of chapter four. Repent simply means to think anew, to think again, or more simply to turn around to admit wrong, to admit need, to admit falling short, to repent and believe, to turn around and put your weight on the gospel, to make a U-turn in the road and throw ourselves upon the savior of the universe. Jesus is making a call to change our thinking and the clearest sign that humans are in fact turning around and believing is that they are becoming a beatitude people. If your response by posting on social media, by staying quiet, by donating to an organization, by calling a friend, whatever path you have chosen to take in these last few weeks, if it has been for the purpose of social acceptance, of conflict avoidance, of, of fear or personal validation or a multitude of other reasons beyond craving right relationship, healing and justice, then stop. Pause. And repent. Repent and honestly ask yourself, what is it that I hunger and thirst for? Here's the truth. Righteousness, right relationship with one another and with God demands repentance. Righteousness demands repentance. And repentance and change is more important than momentary sadness. Repentance is a change of thinking that leads to a change of living. Repentance only makes sense when there is not the presumption of innocence. And I'm learning that this is a problem in how most of us do, who deny systemic issues today feel about it, that there is this assumption of innocence when it comes to racism, that racism is bad, I'm not bad, therefore I'm not racist. And in the book White Fragility, it explains that the good-bad binary is what allows racism to flourish. It's one of the primary causes of inactivity in white people or people of privilege because it allows us to dissociate from the problem and a moment like this invites us to search our own hearts. I, I know I've had to do that this week. I've had to consider what it means for myself in this moment. I've had to deal with my own mixture of emotions. As someone of South Asian descent, I've had to deal with my own experience of, of racism. And perhaps it's been more subtle, but I, and I make light of it when I have it take place, whether it's being pulled aside at the airport every time, asked if I work at Best Buy when I'm shopping, or being congratulated in my English. I was born in Calgary, come on now. So I've had my own experiences, but 
it is not the same as what has been taking place in the lives of our black brothers and sisters or in the lives of indigenous people in Canada. There's, there's a distinct difference that we're seeing all around us and it's had forced me to open my own eyes and consider what is the privilege that I'm living out of? What is the, the systemic issues that I'm feeding into? There was a great video I saw this week that created language around my experience talking about this idea of a model minority that was elevated within the culture and made us to believe that white culture was the ideal while black culture was was second rate. It wasn't the one that we wanted to pursue. And in many ways, I am guilty of participating and benefiting from this narrative. And for this, I confess and I repent. Because I cannot exact change in this world until I exact change in myself. Racism doesn't change until repentance is personal. Transformation doesn't happen until repentance is personal. The good news doesn't take hold of my life until repentance is my response. Because repentance is the first act of leading us to righteousness, of hungering for righteousness. Because black lives do matter to me, to our church, and to God. And we need new laws and we also need new hearts. New laws can deal with injustice, but new hearts really deal with racism. As Christians, we believe in the reality of sin in our world and in our own hearts. And we believe that we have these blinders and biases as broken people. Therefore, we need to repent because everyone is made in the image of God. Everyone is broken. Everyone is loved. Jesus died for everyone. And in Jesus, God's kingdom is available to everyone through repentance and trust now and forever. So hear this with so much love. Some of you are more concerned with saying that you have a relationship with Jesus than actually having a relationship. Some of you have not been able to make a step of surrender. You like the idea of who Jesus is and what he does, but real change doesn't happen until repentance becomes our posture. A need for, of change, a need for new thinking, a need for repentance. Repentance is not about feeling bad. Repentance is about desiring change and newness. Through the life and death of Jesus, we are given new beginnings. Through his spirit, we can be transformed from the inside out. In individuals and systems and structures and one day the entire cosmos. And on the cross, God overcomes hate with love. Jesus forgives those who are killing him. He absorbs the sin and evil of the world and he takes it with him into the grave where it is buried and left to dead. It is meant to stay, no longer living and breathing and those who will go on to bear the name of Jesus and three days later, God raised Jesus from the dead and this first act of renewal and new creation. All of that is to say that hate doesn't get the last word. That racism doesn't get the last word. That sin and injustice don't have the last word. Not even death has the last word because life does, love does, grace does, and God does. And if we believe that, it changes everything. We need to recognize our brokenness and take a U-turn think anew, and have our lives completely transformed. So wherever you find yourself today, would you pause and reflect? What is the privilege we are living with right now in our current conversations? What are the ways in which we need to be learning and listening? So let's pause this morning. And I'm going to pray. I would encourage you. Would you 
humble yourself wherever you're coming from. If it's on this topic of, of racism that's so prevalent in our minds right now, be honest with yourself. Where do we need to repent in order to stimulate change? And if it's in your own life that you're considering this idea of a new kingdom, a new way in Jesus, it begins by saying, Jesus, I need you. My goodwill, my good intentions are not good enough. So I repent and I ask you into my life. Let's pray together. Father, for everyone who's watching right here right now, I pray that, that you would envelop them in your presence that you would convict our hearts, that you would lead us to a place to recognize where we need you, where change needs to take place. Let repentance be our first response. On a systemic level, on a personal level, in relationships with one another and with you, we call forward moments to just be clear, to be honest, to be open and to discover that grace meets us right where we are. So we expose ourselves right now, Jesus. And we say, do a new work that only you can do. Lead us down new paths. Lead us to a place of change in our own hearts so that we can be part of change in our world. Give us ears to hear as we continue to grow and listen and learn. Give us humble hearts, soft hearts, hard feet to do the work. To you we give the glory. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the City Collective Podcast. We hope you enjoyed that message. Please subscribe to stay up to date with every weekly message. For more information on City Collective, please visit www.citycollective.com. Or if you're in the greater Vancouver area, come visit us for a Sunday. You can find more about our church and how you can get involved with what God is doing in the Lower Mainland. Have a great day.